Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with both Anine and Max from Nimuno Labs. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Hello. So this was probably one of our most favorite campaigns, I think, of last year, the original Toy Block Tape. I mean, you guys created this product, and I think it absolutely captured the nation. So it's awesome to have you guys back on the show. Let's give a little bit of a background for the people that didn't listen last year, but talk about the product, what's happened since you guys have been after the post campaign. Okay, so our product is an adhesive strip that forms the base for toy building blocks. So you can, it's flexible and uh, like I said, it's adhesive, so you can stick it on any surface and turn that into a base for toy building blocks. Made out of silicone, so it's pretty durable and can be cut into different shapes and sizes to sort of play yeah. with your own creations in a way. Yeah. Yeah, the campaign, I think this is about the one-year anniversary of us launching the campaign, and the rest of the year we pretty much just spent fulfilling orders. Yeah. Yeah, getting manufacturing sort of set up yeah. and then liaising with the distribution company and and shipping managing that whole yeah (laughs) so the campaign was you know obviously a huge success you know over forty two thousand backers i think you guys had something like 137 countries back this project which is just phenomenal the overall reach of the campaign and obviously raising over you know one and a half or 1.6 million dollars Let's let's backtrack and talk about you know you manufacturing and building a product like this. What was the process like to get all of that and scale up so rapidly? Yes, okay, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. To scale up that rapidly, that was our biggest challenge right in the beginning. Obviously, because we didn't anticipate the the amount of backers we received in the end, that kind of made. You forced us to really speed up production and at a, I mean, at a level that we didn't anticipate. Yeah, I mean, we were fortunate enough to have sort of made enough of a marketing impact that Chrome Cherry Design Studios was approached by a few different larger toy companies that were sort of like wanting to go ahead with it. And Zuru was the one that came out as our sort of like selected company to go with. And they've got a massive engineering team with a lot of resources at their disposal. So they were incredible in getting all the manufacturing like prepared and ready for 
our delivery dates. Yeah, the scale at which those guys operate is absolutely astounding. So I think the fact that we managed to ship on time, and we did ship on time, which was, I think, quite miraculous, was definitely due to them being so proactive and producing so quickly. Yeah, so we're familiar with Zuru, one of our previous clients. You know, a bunch of balloons had great success, and they ended up coming in and licensing it out. And yeah, they were able to scale up and deliver quickly. What was it like, you know, I guess negotiating with Zuru because we've had, you know, good success there in terms of are they licensing the product out now or have you sold the company directly to them? No. So they're, they're licensing the product. Yeah. Specifically, the IP is licensed for manufacture and distribution worldwide. So yeah. that was, yeah, that would took a little while to get that all sort of sorted out. But yeah. But overall, very, very enjoyable people to work with, awesome team. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice to be able to to work on the ground with their graphic designers. I mean, if you're in the office, they can turn out some packaging samples for you in a matter of minutes, which (laughs) I've never seen that happen before. It was awesome. That's incredible. So do you guys know how many feet of tape you guys have put out now? Oh, by now, I don't know. I know that we had a meeting with our IP lawyers and they said, I think it was last year, I think it was that last year, November, and it was like almost, I think it was from UK to New York. Yeah, it was something crazy. They gave it to us in geographical terms, but now I've completely <laughs> forgotten it. I think, yeah, it was something like from Hong, Hong Kong to South Africa, to Cape yeah. Town or something. It was, it was a lot. Thousands of tape. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you guys ultimately raised, you know, over 1.6 million on the crowdfunding campaign. You know, what we always like to think, you know, what was that element or do you think there was one sole thing that was ultimately responsible for the overall success of the campaign based on, you know, marketing or PR? What do you think gave you, you know, that that real boost to the campaign and its overall success? I think from the early stages, before we had actually decided well so in january when anine decided like we need to go one of us has to go to new york and do some like guerrilla marketing i think that was one of the catalysts to getting it to the stage that it did yeah and you know i think anine can speak to more about you know who the people involved yeah. in that were so the, our approach to marketing was the reason why we went to Toy Fair was because we were aware of the fact that there's so many journalists there with the with they want to write about toys. So you know that was really key for, for to our success because then we found all of these journalists that were looking for a good story and we I spoke to them one on one and it was definitely to that just one on one interaction showing your product to someone having them play with it and them having a face to the product i think that definitely made all the difference yeah so in a way like selling to one person who's got a strong like a really large reach is kind of easier than selling to 10,000 yeah. people in dispersed locations yeah. without any kind of direct contact. And in retrospect now, I can tell you definitely that when we got featured on Gizmodo, that's when stuff started going berserk because then we got our we got our product pretty much on the front page of the gadget. <laughs> yeah. All of the gadget. All of the gadget guys were in one false who just saw our product and yeah, just started sending it around. No, that's great. 
So let's talk about post-campaign and experience with the interaction with your backers. Well, obviously, these were you know very passionate fans. Many of them, obviously, Lego fan um, that you know super passionate about their community and their product. How did you guys go about managing feedback from the community that you built? That was definitely a learning curve, you know, because we had such an incredibly large backer base. We essentially had to set up almost like an an email workroom where people were communicating with our backers, especially a little bit later because we had started shipping out our perks, but it takes a bit of time for them to arrive at the backer's door and sometimes they get they get lost the post gets lost so all of that kind of um uh, resulted in some you know there's a lot of backer communication that happened just people wanting to know logistical things so yeah that was difficult we had to set up and train people to communicate with our backers. Make good times with that, bad times with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think, yeah, it was also hard for us to accept that we weren't going to, not 100% of our backers will always be satisfied. Yeah. And so we, t- in the beginning, we took it to heart quite often when people were being negative and tried to please most of the people and then realized that it's just not feasible. So then just pretty much did the best we could. And apart from directly emailing them, we sent out updates through the campaign just to keep people updated. Like every time we went to the factory, when we finally got the product and when we sent off those products, we just kind of tried to keep people up to date. So all the backers, all their rewards have been fulfilled so far? Yes. Yeah. I think we've got like a handful of people who on the second round of shipping, their parcels got lost. And it's, that's a bit of a headache. So it's a headache that you don't necessarily think about when you're running a campaign. But we had a lot of parcels got lost. So we're just dealing with kind of those last administrative hiccups. Did you guys use any software like a backer kit or did you guys handle all of the back end shipping and distribution and orders and colors and all of that on your own? No, luckily we used the backer kit system, which definitely simplified the export of all of that data because it was, oh, yeah, it, it was immense. It was even with backer kit, there was still a lot of kind of like manual yeah. processing of information that we had to like get done yeah um but it's it really did reduce the it did yeah because you can perform bulk actions when you're using a platform like backer that really helped a lot but also in retrospect if i could give anyone some advice it's just keep your perks simple because we really we overcomplicated our perks and it ended up being just it added a lot of unnecessary logistical uh, yeah and that really does ultimately affect your some of your backers yeah absolutely like you know now now there's so many colors that like we've ordered this many colors but then we haven't ordered enough extra to fill like the the back orders and that kind of thing so it's definitely simplicity it's key it's key if only our our perks were as simple as our product This is true, but it's solid advice. Absolutely. I mean, because that's the beauty, right, of with using a software like BackerKit at the end of it, you could do all of the color selections or sizes or upsells and all of that. And, you know, simplifying the options for the backer to come in and not be confused obviously can help with 
achieve greater success typically in campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. I know that Indiegogo now then um, they've done a, a revamp of their user interface and now it's much easier to select colors. So you essentially you just buy a perk and you can choose whichever color you want. And you can even select multiple perks. You can select. So yeah, so that definitely for the next campaign would be much, a, a very useful. So let's talk about the next campaign. What, what, what when and where? Mm, yeah. April. <laughs> yeah, we're we're hoping to launch in the next two months, hopefully towards like mid-April. I suppose that's in a month. Right? Yeah. Excellent. What tips would you guys have for a young company, you know, about to move into the assembly and manufacturing phase of product development that you guys were able to, you know, help with the scaling up with like a Zuru, but for someone potentially a little bit smaller that maybe didn't get as much attention as you guys did. I would say take enough time at the before you launch your campaign to make sure that you've got your ducks in a row. So essentially, if you have the luxury, try and get your manufacturers lined up. So if you see the campaign starts getting legs and you can confidently predict that you're going to get funded, you can essentially start manufacture while your campaign is running mm -hmm. and that can save you a lot of time. I don't think it's good to like jump the gun, but, um, yeah. it definitely the sooner you can get your, the balls rolling for fulfilling your campaign orders, the better off you're going to be in the sort of like follow up process. Yeah. And maybe, what we maybe should have been better at is maybe once we saw that the campaign was blowing up, maybe we should have limited better and or just kind of said, okay, for X amount of perks, this can ship within this date yeah. and then the next. Because we didn't add a date. We didn't kind of update the dates that we expected to ship. So within, we just had so many more products that still had to ship within, which in the beginning was a reasonable shipping date. So, yeah, kind of keep those things. And then shipping is another thing. I would definitely, I would have spent more time researching proper shipping protocol. What is the tax? Better, ways, better ways to manage your the products that if, if they leave the shipping warehouse, like yeah. either going like, I don't, well, it's not at some point saying like, it's not our responsibility in a way to because you end up with a lot of people who like you know on your side as the person shipping the product you can see that it's been delivered to their address but there's no proof no one can there's no signature or anything like that yeah. so there's a lot of like nuanced aspects to it which you think that are going to be fine and they're not fine yeah so definitely like having a very solid understanding of that process is yeah and maybe also just be clear about it because i think we were kind of just yeah yeah we would do a lot of things differently <laughs> Well, that's good to know. I mean, obviously, there's a, a learning curve with launching your first campaign and then fulfilling so many orders and so much feedback. Obviously, it can be daunting experience, but it's great to know that you guys are going to come back with another product here very shortly. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm keen to try, try our hand at a campaign again. I'm not sure that it will blow up quite the same. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that would be great. But I think what happened was very special, and I'm not going to... <laughs> expect it from everyone. Yeah, I'm not going to expect it for every campaign. Sure. 
Sure. So let's talk about knockoffs. When we see, you know, obviously great campaigns like we did with Bunch of Balloons, knockoffs quickly filled the scene and, you know, tried to take away market share from, you know, the, the IP that, you know, the creator had created. How have you guys gone about dealing with all of that now? Yeah, well, it's really difficult because we launched when our patent was still pending. Um, Regrettable decision. Regrettably. Yeah. In retrospect, that's also one of the things that we definitely shouldn't have done because that gives those people who, who want to produce knockoffs, it gives them so much leeway to do that and, as you say, dig into your market share. And that it happened in a big, big way. I mean, I think by the end of our campaign, I mean, there were already hundreds of knockoffs, but some of the bigger ones had already sold upwards of a million dollars worth of product or even a million rolls. Yeah. Was, that's what they told us. Yeah. And that's before our campaign ended. So these people, and then some of them were producing and selling products before we could, because obviously we had to concentrate on fulfilling orders for our backers. So now you're kind of splitting up your attention between getting your product to market, but you still have to get your products to your backers, mm. which takes a long time if you have to ship 42 individual parcels all around the world, you know, like, yeah. It's a lot more complicated than delivering to a store. Yeah, and then delivering mass to, let's say, Toys R Us. Right. What could you have done differently? Just waited for the yeah. patents to come through? or well, you know. I think that there's other ways that you can address it, but they all will carry a lot more risk. So, like, let's say if we hadn't really focused a lot of, like, budget onto ad spend on like Google AdWords and Facebook advertising and all that kind of thing, which we started noticing, especially when the bigger guys came in, that they were basically taking over our, like our advertising space. And so being prepared for those kinds of eventualities or like possibilities rather than eventualities, because it's not always an eventuality. Yeah. But being prepared for that kind of situation really would have put us in a better position in terms of protecting yeah. the like product you, and our sales and the market our market share. Because once you've lost a significant market share, it's actually kind of hard to like get back the trust of consumers and also to sort of like we are the original but they've seen so much of the other mm. that they think is the original, which is kind of problematic. Yeah. I think also if we could have produced faster, but that yeah. wasn't, it wasn't possible. The other option is to get to stores first, and that's very difficult. But if you get your product in front of the consumer first, then, you know, you're halfway there. And if you can keep their attention and stay on the front page of the Internet, for instance, then yeah, that will help a lot as well. Mm. But it's always a difficult task, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime you don't have full cover from a patent or something like that, you're putting yourself at a level of risk, especially if it's a runaway success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in a way you have to accept, yeah, there's like an acceptable margin and you just have to like manage that margin. Yeah. And while we, so that also because our patent hadn't been filed or hadn't been approved, the most success we had with takedowns was through our images. So, you know, when that's your only course of action to stop people from ripping off your product, you're not in a very, very good position. 
Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, it's amazing how fast some of these factories can scale up when there is a runaway success and just, you know, deliver product. We've seen it many, many times, like Fidget Cube, obviously another really big one that a guy was making a half a million dollars before the campaign ever ended and was already shipping product that quickly. Yeah, it's crazy. It's the unfortunate side of crowdfunding, right? With great ideas. They get knocked off very quickly. The other thing that we've been like thinking about lately is to basically have all of your like production or your tooling and everything ready before you even start your campaign. But that Mm -hmm. obviously in a way defeats the original point of crowdfunding. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think, yeah, given the sort of modern context of the internet, like crowdfunding, it's shifted since it originally started. It's kind of become a lot more of like a marketing tool. So like if you are successful in crowdfunding, it's 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 just that you're putting yourself at risk but it's a marketing exercise at the same time. So like if you're successful, then you know to pursue your product that you've developed, but if you're not successful there, then you know, Mm. it's a, it's a bit of like, yeah, it's the truest form of market validation, right? If the crowd wants it, they'll buy it. They'll pre buy it before it ever exists. Right. So like you can't necessarily start a business on it without risking something yeah all right well this is going to get us into our launch round where i'm going to rapid fire questions at you or who's going to take the questions max okay all right max so what inspired you to be an entrepreneur opportunity that was a bit slow i'll try i'll try to speed it up <laughs> okay, speed it up speed it up <laughs> if you could work with any entrepreneur throughout history who would it be Elon Musk, as cheesy as that is. There you go. What inspires you about Elon? What would be your first question for Elon? How much to take me to the moon? (laughs) (laughs) There we go. How much tape to the moon, right? How much to take it to the moon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Any books you would recommend to our audience? 1984. (laughs) Gotcha. Orwell, huh? Yeah. What's your favorite toy as a kid? Skateboard. There you go. All right, last question for you, Max. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? Marketing. All marketing, huh? Yeah, I think so. Well, this has been fun. I appreciate you guys coming back on the show. This is your chance to give our audience your pitch, tell them what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should check you out. We're part of Chrome Cherry Design Studios, and we have got a multitude of new exciting products coming out this year. Yeah. Um, Check out our Indiegogo campaign pages. I think you can go to the profile profile page and you yeah, can see you all the campaigns. We're currently busy populating two. So yeah, watch this space. You can also find us on our website and yeah, drop us a line if you guys ever want to chat. awesome audience thank you again for tuning in make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes the transcript links to all the things we talked about today and of course thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors the gadget flow and backer kit and of course if you love this episode make sure to leave us a review on itunes anine and max thank you so much for being on the show today thanks for having us thanks for having us Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. 
It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.